Apex friends and neighbors. Welcome to the Peak City Podcast. I'm Shane Reese, and if you're joining us from outside of Apex, we're glad to have you as well. We're proud to have the support of the Apex Downtown Business Association. Learn more at apexdowntown.com. We have a very special guest today. I'm honored to have the mayor of Apex, Mayor Lance Olive, in the studio. Mayor Olive, great to have you. Good morning, Shane. How are you? Great. We just wrapped up a fantastic 4th of July festival. Hats off to you and the Parks and Rec Department and all the other uh, town staff involved. Yeah, they did a great job. I had a great time. What I was really pleased about was to see that there were thousands of families there, brought their kids out. And really, 4th of July is one of those celebrations we do in Apex that's really for the kids. And, you know, we have Peak City Pig Fest and we have the Peak Fest and we have Latino Fest, and we have all these other ones. And they're geared towards just the general public. But historically, 4th of July has always been really about making sure the kids have a good time. And maybe that's what's unique a little bit about Apex, because it's always sort of been that way. I remember riding my own red, white, and blue bicycle in the parade when I was young, eight years old, perhaps seven, eight years old. And so when I came up here and saw all the families up here with kids and bicycles, they were pushing them around, getting ready and staging for the parade. I was just struck by the quantity, the sheer number of bicycles that were decked out in red, white, and blue. When I did this, there was maybe 20 of us, you know, 25 (laughs) of us kids. I saw, uh, without trying to exaggerate the number, I think I saw at least four or 500 bicycles all lined up four wide, like some kind of NASCAR race (laughs) staged, you know, and it went two blocks for a block and a half parade, you know, And, and it was great to see all these parents and kids just having a good time, you know, streamers and pinwheels and just red, white, and blue all over. It was was awesome. My, uh, my entire family came down. We had a ball. My six and four-year-olds rode their bikes in it. I had to take the uh, almost two-year-old home for a nap. And uh, they were talking about how great it was to all the cheering you know, from the crowd as they went down the street. And so I did not get a chance to run into you. I was told that you had the uh, red, white, and blue uh, Chuck Taylors on. Is that yeah, the, that the is true. patriotic shoes? That is true. I had my uh, American flag, if you will, red, white, and blue Chuck Taylors. I did enjoy wearing them around, and I saw people who would look at me, and they saw I had a blue and white shirt, and they would ask, where's your red? And then they would look down and there see it go. on my shoes. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, thank you once again um, to you and uh, and all the town staff for a great event. Just want to jump right in. Uh, you're kind enough to speak at a recent Apex Downtown Business Association meeting. You gave some updates of the town, as well as you know some specific accomplishments and even a challenges ahead. Give us a 30-second snapshot of what you talked about in that State of the Town address. Sure. The first and most obvious thing to everyone who's around here is that we notice there's a lot of growth happening. In my State of the Town address, I talked about the fact that in 2015, when I was running for mayor, there were a lot of people who were already talking about growth and is it going too fast. And then in August, the Money Magazine came out with the number one best place to live in America ranking. Clearly, as a candidate for mayor, when that ranking comes out, it gives you the pause to say, wait a second, do I really want to be mayor of the number one best place to live? Because now the bar is set so high, by some people's assessment, there's nowhere to go but down. And you mentioned in that State of the Town address that that's kind of like being the uh, the new coach of the Super Bowl champions in the new season. That's exactly right. Why would anybody in their right mind want to be the new head coach for the Super Bowl winners. 
My easy answer to that is that having been on the planning board for six years and a council member for four, I actually knew under the covers there was a lot of other things that we could improve on. As we're growing, there are things that we can do better. So to assume that number one is as high as you can get, it's a quantumization, if you will, of the ranking, but it is not an indication that we can't get better. And that was what I took upon myself. I knew that I had a list of 10 things that I came into this saying that there are some areas where we can improve, we can make things better, or we can sustain or maintain them so that they don't degrade over time. And if you do those things, then you continue to make this the best place to live, no matter what a magazine might say. Uh, The other two things about that is you have to be under 50,000 residents in order to qualify for that. And we're going to hit 50,000 residents probably mid-September of this year. So we won't be considered and we probably won't be anywhere on that list, much less number one. Um, But citizens shouldn't read anything into that if they don't see that Apex is ranked. Um, It doesn't mean that we're all of a sudden not the best place to live in America. We all know that we love what we do here. We love how we live here. We love our quality of life. That's absolutely right. And that's because people want to be here. What are your thoughts on how to balance that growth from your position as mayor? Yeah, and that's really, I mean, back to the state of the town dress, that's one of the things I talked about there is that there are things that we have to do in order to create that balance. The important thing to remember is growth is happening not just here in Apex, but in the whole county. And that growth is right now still increasing. So to deny that there's growth happening or to try to stop the growth is really not a practical solution. What we need to do is make sure that what we put in place or what developers put in place are sustainable for 20, 40, 50 years, perhaps. And there's going to be some growing pains in that. I mean, this is this is inevitable and that's that's a good sign for a town to grow. That's right. There are probably... 200 other municipalities in the state that wish they had a growth problem because they have a shrinking or a dying town problem. Right. Um, Those folks have businesses that are closed up or have been closed up for 15 years and with no hope of seeing those open again. So what we want to do is to maintain the sustainability of the growth is to modify our planning documents. And for the last 18 months, we have done that very regularly. We've been reviewing corner after corner of our planning areas. The primary objectives really were look for the intersections of historic state roads where the growth is going towards, reserve those intersections for commercial office and institution services that can feed the community so that you don't end up with a very large area that's 100% residential then those people have to go, you know, five miles to get to somewhere that provides a service for them. Sometimes all they just want is a coffee and a bagel. Sometimes they need a place to drop off their dry cleaning. Right. Sometimes they just need a place to drop off their kid for a daycare. So you see a lot of these, for example, daycares, right? You'll see a lot of these 150 student daycares popping up, right? They're pockets of daycares. That actually gives people a lot better option of where to take their kid. Uh, but at the same time, It also prevents the clog of traffic at one giant location and spreads it out across the area. And that's what you essentially get nodes. That's right. That's right. Nodes of 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 services, and that's what I mean by you know growth in a smart and sustainable way. When you make sure that there are areas that provide these services 
in pockets, people have other alternatives to go to different places. They can stay closer to home when they have to go run an errand, or it's easier for them to make a drop-off and a pickup without ending up on the same arterial traffic road as everyone else. Right. So in that, you've actually got several infrastructure projects on the way to help alleviate some of that traffic, some of that growth, and also accommodate some of that growth. There's, for example, the Peakway Bridge over Salem Street that's been in the works. There's the possible expansion of 55 between Olive Chapel and Salem Streets. Briefly, what's the update on those? Yeah, so on the Peakway, um, as you know, the Peakway has been planned now for, gosh, probably 40 years. It's been a circle on the map as a potential. And, you know, that took foresight from someone a long time ago when, you know, in 1976, we had 8,000 people in the area, not just in the town limits, but anyone who somehow said they lived in or around Apex. Mm -hmm. For those people, a loop around town probably seemed a little odd, but they had the foresight to look at other areas that had grown and seen that they needed to have a loop. So we started that. And what we've been able to do is as development occurred around town, if you were developing property that abutted this circle, you would put in your little segment of the peakway. So through the course of doing that over the last 40 years, we got to where we had about 90% of the Peakway installed, at least the two-lane side, right? Right. Eventually, it will be a four-lane loop all the way around town. Right now, we're getting close to having a complete loop. The penultimate section, also known as the next to the last segment, right, is this Peakway bridge over the CSX Railroad and over South Salem Street. You do have to bridge over CSX Railroad because they won't allow any at-grade crossings. And so in order to do that, because the railroad and South Salem are close to each other, you have to bridge over both of them, then have a down ramp. Yeah, it's complex logistics when you're dealing with... Yeah, absolutely. What's the status on that? Where, where do we go from here? So we've had a lot of public inputs on the design and what characteristics they needed to see. We had a referendum to help fund it. That was on the ballot in 2015. That passed. We've gotten past the concept. We've chosen a plan to proceed with. Very shortly, I will be working with Moody's and Standard & Poor's to make sure our credit ratings are as high as possible. We've got a really good story. I'm working with the finance director and the town manager to collect that story in a brief presentation so we can go make our pitch, if you will. The benefit of that, of course, is the higher our credit rating, the lower our interest rate. So when we go to sell that municipal bond in order to fund the bridge, uh, we'll get the lowest rate possible, which means we can then fund it most effectively and inexpensively. And then we'll begin building that bridge. I would imagine that the beginning of 2018, you'll start seeing ground being broken. And it will take us maybe 18 months, I would guess, to get the bridge over. Some of it depends on how responsive CSX is when we need to get over their segment. Um, As you know, they own their right-of-way, so they grant us an easement to build a bridge over. Um, They are usually quick enough on the bridge over as long as you meet certain criteria. So the Apex Peakway is aligned correctly on both sides, so... We don't have a lot of adjustments to make on the ends. We just have to get the bridge started, the ramp up and over, and then back down. 
And the town transportation department sees this as an opportunity for, once again, that 40-year-long vision of connectivity around town. What, what are some of the advantages? And obviously, there are some situations that may not be ideal for particular property owners. Generally speaking, the town will be able to appreciate that connectivity over the bridge. What are those expectations? Yeah, I think that's a great point that the connectivity is huge. Right now, we've got, as an example, we've got Salem Village residents who may want to get to the Olive Chapel Road area, you know, Beaver Creek. They right now have to go back into town to 55 and drive over and then come back out. With that connectivity, they'll no longer have to do that. And in the reverse, you've got people on uh, along the new section of the Peakway, Bryan Drive, which cuts through Dogwood and also Amherst, Beckett Crossing. All of those folks will be able to get over to the Walmart 55 heading south towards Holly Springs if they're going that direction without having to come straight into town to hit 55. So it creates a relief of traffic hitting 55. So to transition to 55, you asked also about what's happening there. So North Carolina DOT has had the 55 project and the bridge project of the railroad there at 55 on their radar for a good 15, 20 years, but it has not scored high enough. You know, funding for transportation is a competitive thing throughout the state. And if you remain number three or four on that list for a long period of time, and until you bump up, I mean, something else may jump in on top. That's right. Typically, there's an annual budget or funding allotted, and projects, they follow a very rigorous process for a scoring system. And the scoring system is mostly quantified by metrics of the project. There is an element that is a bit subjective so that people can throw some points, if you will, onto a project that they just feel like there's an X factor they need to bump it up in priority, or if there's a project they can take down. And there's a bubble line. And if you get above the bubble line, then you're funded for that year to start. So the good thing is um, the NCDOT came out to Apex and held a public workshop. I think they may have used a different term, but it was a public communications. And when they looked at it there, they were able to not only communicate outwardly towards the folks what they thought the proposal for 55 would be, the widening project. And by the way, this would be widening from US-1 intersection all the way north to what was going to be Bryan Drive at Amherst, now they've extended it to Olive Chapel when they realized that that one little extra extension could help create four full lanes of traffic flow. Mm -hmm. And so that project is now looking like it's going to be funded. It looks really promising. I went into this thinking without the bridge widening and replacement as part of that project, that it was moot, that they are barking up the wrong tree, that that was the bottleneck and they're not addressing the problem. When I got there to the session, and this is how I went open-minded enough to learn, I saw that actually having the bridge out of the project helped elevate it up the bubble list. And the bridge project could then also be pitched in a different bucket of money, as it were. So as a different type of project. So rather than put it in the transportation funding, which is highly competitive, to put it in a different one that relates more towards economic development using rail as a conduit. So that really speaks to the difference from, you know, just the, the layman motorist driving down the road may say, well, why aren't these two things happening at the same time? They need to happen in conjunction. I want to get from point A to point B, but 
that question is a lot harder to answer when we talk about how you and council work to achieve those goals. Yes. And I went into this as a lay person looking at it, thinking the bridge is the obvious bottleneck. What they showed us with data is that the bridge isn't the number one bottleneck, that some of the intersections are actually higher fault, if you will. So they measured accidents and throughput and capacity. And the bridge is a factor, but it's actually not the t- in the top four. There are four other places. So the South Salem Street intersection actually doesn't function like it needs to. And they can improve that and improve the flow, even with the bridge the way it is, and it will make that intersection work better. That's the part that I did not know until I got there, looked at the data, saw the map, saw the flows of what is and what could be, and realized even with the bridge the way it is, that could be better. That's when I got behind the do it without the bridge, let's go take the bridge, go for a different funding pot of money. If it happens in the same year, that's awesome. If it happens one, two, or three years later, that's okay because we can fix things now with the transportation project to widen 55. And I feel like while I may be hosting this project as someone who lives in Apex, that makes more sense to me now that you've explained it in that way. Let's make a quick transition to our park system. We have an incredible set of parks here uh, in Apex. You've been involved in these initiatives for years. This is partly how you got involved in running for office, initiating the disc golf course. Isn't that correct? It really is. Um, I never set out to run for office. It was never a life dream of mine. Because you're a software engineer by training. That's right. I spent, (laughs) yeah, I was an NC State grad, computer science graduate, uh, wrote software for 15 years, began getting into management. But during that time, um, while I was a software engineer, a coworker of mine took me out, actually my whole team, we did a software release. We were a little bit celebrating. So we went to lunch on a Friday and we decided to take the afternoon and play some disc golf. And none of the rest of us knew what disc golf was, although conceptually we kind of got it pretty quick, right? It's golf with a Frisbee, but not Frisbee brand, right? right, but, right. <laughs> but still, and, and the idea is just like the lingo is like golf. Yeah. You know, you tee off, you have a driver, you have a approach, yeah. you have a putter, you, know, you throw it into the basket, which is like the hole, right? right? And you call it a hole. And you have a green. And you have a green. Yeah. That's right. You have an air. So at the same time I was learning this, I was being a father watching my son turn 10 and realizing he's closer to 18 the day he leaves house than the day he was born. So I had sort of a parental midlife crisis, if you will. And I was thinking, like, am I intentionally being a great father, or am I just sort of muddling through and I'm too busy to do things? So I said to myself, more than anything, I said, I want to try to do more intentional things with my son. And yes, I have a daughter too, but she's younger. So I I was focused on this one. Well, video games were an indoor activity, not very active. So I said, let's go do some things outside. And we tried throwing football and baseball and soccer. And some of those were okay, but it's just not as enjoyable. And then I took him disc golf. And while he was still young and learning, he actually enjoyed it and thought, let's do it again. So we started doing that more regularly. And one day, this is probably after we've been going about six or seven times, he said, why do we have to drive like 20 minutes to get to one of these things? Isn't there one closer? And I said, I don't know. That's a really good question. And then it made me ask the question, why don't we have one closer? Because it really doesn't require that much. It's essentially a path through the woods and it's pretty environmentally friendly. And then it's really not an expensive sport either. And not only is it 
very environmentally friendly because you don't put down lots of concrete. You don't need to clear a field and then pave it over. You clear out the underbrush and the bigger trees are the ones you leave. And so they become obstacles in the course. You don't have to fill in ditches or gullies or creeks because they're also obstacles. Right. So that actually adds to the fun. You add 18 tee boxes, 18 holes, and everywhere else is connected by just clear path for walking and throwing through. And it's very nature friendly. It connects you with the nature around you, and yet you're participating in activity. And so you brought this to town. So then, I yes, I asked a couple of people, how do we find out how to do this somewhere in Apex? And I didn't really know, you know, the lingo and how I didn't follow government that much because, frankly, I was busy just being a parent and trying to bring home the bacon, you know, for my kids and my wife. And somebody said, oh, you need to talk to John Brown. So I went to talk to the director of Parks and Recreation. He says, you should go talk to the advisory commission. This is the Parks and Rec Advisory Commission made of citizens. So being a new manager, I put together what I thought was the one of the most awesome persuasive PowerPoints the world had ever seen. <laughs> and I showed up to say, how many of you have heard of disc golf? And a couple of them immediately were thinking of ultimate Frisbee, which is basically football with a right, disc. Right. And I said, well, let me educate you. I gave them some slides. I talked them through it. I showed them how it that was. That is not an intrusive process. It, it is not an intrusive process. It is a family-friendly sport. You don't have to be big, tall, fast, whatever to play. You can be young, old. Yeah. If you can throw a Frisbee, you can play. And then I showed them the utility, if you want to count you know, from metrics, the number of people who can participate on that space at any given time. Theoretically, it's four times 18, which is 72 people. You can have 18 foursomes all playing at the same time. You can't do that with tennis, with soccer, with so baseball. So it's a smart use of town resources. It is. Yeah. It was very smart. And so I showed them, I did a preliminary budget for them, and I showed them basically everything they needed to know. And then I said, my question to you, this is the million dollar question is, where can we do this in Apex? And they immediately rolled out the master plan for the Apex Nature park mm -hmm. and said, well, we've got this big park that might work out well. It's called the nature park, but do we have to take anything out in order to make this fit? And I said, no, no, you can just go all around the edges, use space you already got. Disc golf is one of those things that people will often retrofit into an existing park. And it's amazing how many times you think the park is full and you can't add anything to it. And yet disc golf still can fit. Right. It's a bit like um, like my friend used to say, even after you've eaten lunch and you're totally full, you always got room for ice cream because it goes in between the cracks, <laughs> right? And it does. And disc golf is a bit like that. Well, yeah. in this case, because the park was about two weeks away from being signed off as a master plan, we actually had the ability to be a little more freer than that. It wasn't necessarily a retrofit, but it was close. So we got it planned in. And of course, we had a little bit of time where economics of the town were a bit stagnant and we couldn't afford to do it. But eventually it got built, it got installed, and it's been a big hit. And we've got people coming to play on our disc golf course from 25, 30 miles away because it's new and it's great. And we did a great job of designing it and installing it. And we didn't cut corners. And this is a big thing. If you're going to put down tee boxes, a lot of people start with no budget. So yeah, it's understandable that sometimes you just create a dirt area that you tee from. Right. So, Those get muddy. 
quickly. They do get muddy quickly. And then some people come in and put like the black rubber mats down and say, well, that's better than nothing. But they get slippery when it's right. wet mm-hmm. and a little bit of mildew or moss starts to grow on it or algae. So to do it right from the beginning, you put down a concrete pad that's sort of broom rough so that you've got some traction. And you and put these in, things aren't big. They're what? Uh Four or five by maybe six ten. feet. Yeah, yeah. ten. It's yeah. like five by ten okay. or six by twelve. Usually they're kind of a, a two to one ratio rectangle. Yeah. So your run, you have a little bit of but a. These three are or these four are not basketball run. courts. These no. are these are small yeah. pieces of uh, like what you may have your uh, like a grill pad almost. Yeah, that's right. It's about the size of your car. If you imagine yeah. parking your car on a driveway yeah. that's the exact same size as your car, yeah. it's about how big it is. So it really doesn't take up much space. You don't have to take out a lot of nature just to put that down. And then if you buy proper disc golf baskets, you know, Innova or some right. other brand, they're typically good quality. They're well known. And then you clear it out. The next thing I said was it's very good to have either a bench near a few of these holes and oftentimes, you know, a little trash can. Right. So that way you end up giving people the opportunity to throw their trash away rather Keep than it leave it on the ground. Yeah. Right. And so if you provide enough of these every now and then, people can sit, people can throw the trash away, and then you end up with a disc golf course that takes care of itself yeah. over time. Well, that's fantastic. Congrats on pushing this project. And uh, it really is the whole, uh, if you build it, they will come. Yeah. Um, and I don't know that you saw at that time yourself now having served as town council member and now as mayor overseeing much of the process that's on the horizon with Pleasant Park. It's a 92-acre site baseball diamonds, mixed-use fields, uh, tennis, volleyball, splash pads. What are the next steps with this project? I mean, this is much more ambitious than an add-on of a disc golf course on the Apex Nature Park. Tell us about that and where we're going. Yeah, it really is. Pleasant Park was an opportunity. We didn't necessarily seek to buy land there, but the owner of the land wanted to offer the land to the town at a reasonable price that may not have a developer markup, but they wanted to see that it be used for uh, parks. So the town opportunistically purchased it, I don't know, three years ago, maybe? I forgot the date, but it's been a few years. And since then, we've had some discussions and workshops and planning sessions and charrettes. And we've had lots of people in town involved in giving feedback. What should we do with this parkland? The outcome was to have more than 10 or 12 different surfaces for various sports. So you've got baseball, softball, you've got lacrosse, soccer, you've got tennis, and then there's the other amenities that go along with that. There are a couple of things that many of us have experienced locally that we wanted to also see addressed. Flow of cars in and out is very important. Where they park is very important. We want to make sure there are enough spaces that There should be no reason for people to be parking in the driving area because as we all know, when we go into a park and we see there's a parking lot that's, you know, half a mile away, but nobody parks in it because it's too far. And so they just park on the side of the street thinking that's fine. Mm -hmm. But none of us like to drive past a row of cars that narrow. Typically minivans. Yeah. (laughs) We don't want. I'm guilty. I have one. (laughs) Yeah. None of us want to drive by all these cars in a bottleneck. So one of the things we want to do is provide not just adequate quantity of spaces, but spread them out so across the entire parkland so that people can park near the thing they're trying to be at. So the temptation to park in the driving area is removed. And when we do that, we make for a more functional park. And it seems like 
an obvious thing, but so many times we get caught up in the what kind of field's going to be there that we forget the day-to-day -day operation of it. And we want to make sure that maybe we err on the side of too many spaces, you know, and yeah. that's okay. It's okay to have a few too many spaces than not have enough. Give us the pitch on this park. You have a bond referendum coming up. Um, how do you hope the residents of Apex react to this proposal? Sure. A couple of things. One, the referendum that's going to be on the ballot for November is for authorization to spend $48 million and to fund that through the general obligation bond mechanism. This means that will come with tax increases to support that. It's under the big umbrella of parks, recreation, and cultural resources because the park is about $37 million. There's a senior center that's included that's about 11. There's some greenway improvements that we want to do as well. So they all come under one umbrella. There's one question for the whole thing. That's what's going to be on the ballot. The tax increase phased in over three periods, over five years, will be somewhere around four and a half to 4.8 cents depending on how our tax base grows and depending on how our finances go for other things. But that's generally what we think we'll see. There is a group called CAPS. CAPS is actively working. They've had a tent at a couple of the events. I'm sure you'll see them again. They downtown. had one at the July 4th celebration. Indeed they did. And they are providing information so that people can see what the map looks like. They can see what that will include. But don't forget the other part of this, which is the senior center. I think this is an important part because not only are people aging in place in Apex, but maybe what's just as much of a contributor to the senior population is folks that are kind of our age, their parents are moving here. You've right. got New York and Michigan and Pennsylvania and New Jersey parents coming down here where their grandchildren are because, you know, you don't bring my grandchildren to my house often enough, right? right. So they come down here, yeah. maybe also to escape the cold weather. You also have some that... And because this is the number one town in America. It is. And why wouldn't you want to live here, right? <laughs> um, the, the other thing, we, and I learned this phrase when I heard some folks tell me why they moved here. They called themselves halfbacks. They that's, moved from the north that's to right. Florida. That's right. And halfway then they back. said it was too hot and humid all the time, so yeah. they moved halfway back to North Carolina. Yeah. That was their self-assigned title, and I thought yeah. that was a good story. I hadn't heard that one before. Yeah. So just want to give listeners a quick preview of what we're going to cover in the back of this podcast. We're going to talk a little bit about economic development. We're going to talk quickly about downtown. We're going to have a major announcement for you, Mayor. Um, first off, let's start with your pitch to a business, big or small. They're considering moving to Apex. They've heard about it. What is your elevator pitch for why they should relocate or even start a business here in the peak of good living? Yeah, absolutely. First of all, we want anybody who wants to hire people to have their business here in Apex. And we would love to work with them to help them do it. Elevator pitch, number one reason to move your business to Apex is the plethora of talent. There are so many people here who have a wide variety of talents and skills and very well educated. And right now they're driving 25, 30, 35 minutes to jobs in Research Triangle Park, Durham, Raleigh, other areas, maybe North Cary, Morrisville, where they would probably be willing to trade that in for a five-minute commute. And as you know, we have been called a bedroom community, 
But that may be at least part of my goal is to make that a temporary label because one of the benefits of having a bedroom community is this is where people are. Right. And if you want to have a hundred awesome resumes show up on your desk when you move your business here and you say, I've got five job openings, well, this is the place to do it. And you're going to have that happen. There's no doubt. Now, there are a wide variety of talents. There may be some niche jobs that maybe this area doesn't know, but there are not many. Most of them you'll see around here are a wide variety of talent. So that's the number one. The second part is, even if Apex doesn't have the exact talent that you want, or if you already are generally in the area and you don't want to move your headquarters far, but you want to find that new space, you still have good access to the highways for your current employees to still commute to work. So as an example, let's say you've got an employee who lives in Garner. Your business is in North Raleigh. You decide to move it to Apex. That person still can look at that commute down US 1 or 540, frankly, because that's only a couple of years away before we really start connecting 540 over towards 401 and then all the way to Garner, that's within the next two to five years you'll see some of that happening. Mm -hmm. Those employees will not have to relocate. You'll be able to move your business here and not lose employees. There have been real examples of people who have wanted to move their business from farther out to somewhere else and have decided not to do that because they would lose their current employee base. You won't have that happen when you've got US-1 going right to Apex You've got NC-55 going right to Apex. You've got US-64 going right to Apex. And you've got 540 coming right to Apex. With that, that allows you to have a larger diameter of where people can live and still come to work in Apex. And again, that's secondary towards the number of people that you'll have show up just from Apex wanting to work there and trade in their long commute. Part of that economic development is right here in our historic downtown Apex. In many ways is uh, the heartbeat of Apex. It's only getting better as we've learned right here on this program. From your position as mayor, what do you see as the outlook for downtown and how does downtown impact the rest of town? Sure. I'll start with just a brief history. In the mid-70s, I came downtown as a teen myself, you know, 12, 13, 14, um, just riding my bike to town. And we didn't have these strip malls of plazas and stores and things. So we had two grocery stores downtown. I mean, just imagine, you can't hardly picture a grocery store downtown, but right. if you know the size of those places, I think they're about 1,500 square feet maybe, mm -hmm. right? Imagine if you had to run a grocery store in there, how you would lay it out. That's what they did back then, right? Martin's and Beasley's, they were both grocery stores right downtown, and they were operating in the 70s. Then as strip malls started being built on the outskirts and places like Food Town and Piggly Wiggly and places like that started building grocery stores a little further out, then you started seeing some of those kind of core businesses, you know, Napa, Parts, right? They started moving out of the downtown and out onto the edges of town. At the time, you know, it was a mile away was the edge of town. Right. When those things happened, the downtown started to kind of dry up a little bit. So the 80s weren't good for Apex downtown. You know, whatever businesses were here often were being run by the person who owned the building already. They didn't have to worry about trying to make enough revenue to pay the rent because they had the building ownership, but they really weren't doing well. They weren't thriving, most of them. You know, the cleaners dried up. Now, that, by the way, that's where the, the Salem Street Pub. Yeah, the, the pharmacy dried up, you know, and now that's Anna's Pizzeria. Right. 
but what we saw was starting about, oh, 12, 15 years ago, there were people who saw the growth around the area starting to pick up a little bit and said, I think if we put some money into renovating the building, then we might be able to attract new kind of business. So we saw that happening, right? Um, Steve Adams began working on Peak City Grill That's and right. his building. He spent hundreds of thousands of dollars. I don't know the number, but but getting his building up to scratch. And it's beautiful. And it's beautiful now. And um, also Anna's Pizzeria. When Yuri moved here yeah. from New York, he says, I want to run you know, the pizza place named for my grandmother here. I had this in New York. I want to live here where the quality of life is better. And on the economic development question, by the way, that's the other piece is people will work where there is a high quality of life because they'll want to live there. Right. But with that, you have now, you could call them sort of the corner anchors. Right. And there are some people who kind of kept things going during that time, but they might tell you they weren't thriving, but they were surviving. But after those kind of demonstrated that they could do well enough, then you started having other places pop up, right? Carly's, then the Rock Harbor Grill, now it's the Provincial. Um, the Salem Street Pub was a sandwich shop. Clearly now it's stuck because they've they've got something. They figured out something. People do want to come downtown. And what's amazing now is you can come here, not just in the day, you can come here after 6 o'clock p.m. on any day of the week. Rain, shine, cold, hot, doesn't matter. There's 75 people to 100 people walking around downtown or eating or drinking or just enjoying being Enjoying downtown. the shops and the boutiques. They really are. And, and right, and it's not just the restaurants. There are, there are shops and boutiques that really are hitting niches, right? There's the antique store. There's the doodling right shop. There's doodling sewing. Bug, that's right. There's sewing, there's pictures and frames, paintings, um, and we've we've seen multiple types of shops. They meet different people's needs. And there's probably two or three shops that, as a citizen, I walk past and don't look at because it doesn't attract my attention, but somebody else will go straight to it. That's right. And so that's what we see, the kind of variety that meets a lot of people where they are. I want to talk with you really quickly about the last thing about your state of the town address. You talked about how you'd put a big emphasis on communications and outreach as mayor. You're highly visible both on social media as well as just being around town. And we're excited to announce the launch of your brand new podcast series, The Apex Roundup. Now, this is not your first time with a microphone. Let's go back a few years, maybe uh, five, ten, maybe a few years longer than that, back to your college days. Yeah, uh, when, <laughs> when you were on radio back on WKNC, right? That's right. In the mid-80s, while I was a young student at NC State, I wanted to get more into radio. I had run soundboards for churches and things like that, but and I've always loved music. I volunteered at WCPE, which is the classical That's station right. first. 89.7. 89.7. And I volunteered out there, and they trained me up and got me a third-class FCC permit so I could run the station all alone. And I ran a show called Music in the Night. And every Friday night, I was out there running a show in classical music. And while I was on campus at NC State, I heard our radio station there, 88.1 FM. And I began listening to it. And I called the DJ at the time. And I said, look, I'm on campus. Can I just walk up to where you are? I went to the third floor of the student center where the radio station was. And also the technician, right? Yeah. All the communication majors were kind of hanging out up there. And I began kind of hanging out, just kind of helping a guy there. And 
before I know it, I had a shift and then I took over a show. And so I was running a show every Sunday afternoon for two years and it was playing music. So I was a DJ there. At the time, they advised you not to use your own last name. So my air name there was Lance Rockford. Rockford is my given first name. So I took my first name and made it my last and that worked out really well. It's kind of a good air name. So yeah, I, I did enjoy running a radio show, playing music, gave me practice with the microphone. I learned a little bit about my accent, learned how Southern I really was, you know, growing up in Apex. At the time, everyone in Apex had your classic North Carolina Southern accent. Maybe not so much now, but but we did. Right. And so I learned how to get rid of it through listening to my own voice. And that was painful. And anybody who's ever heard their own voice, you know, for the first few times, yeah. you just hate it. That's it right. takes a while to get used to it. So at my state of the town address, one of the things I challenged our town government to do is to be more communicative on what's happening all the time. And I saw that between the print media not really covering the local stories like I remembered when I was 13 and 14, looking forward to the newspaper showing up every Thursday, and our new media, new wave of how people get information and news I saw like this podcast right here. Exactly like (laughs) this podcast. And I saw that there was a new wave that we need to get on board with. And at the time, I was just focused on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram even and just keeping people posted. And I thought there's no reason why our government can't do that. I'll tell you, anybody who doesn't have a Twitter follow for the Apex Police Department, or frankly, for Chief Letney, yeah. you ought to. Absolutely. Because he he's got a sense his, of humor. He and his department do a fantastic <laughs> yeah. job of keeping the public informed. And it's not dry, and it's not about just, here's an arrest. It's really more about how the police are engaging the community in every aspect, right. whether it's touch a truck or Christmas with a cop or they've got the- Coffee with a cop. Coffee. That's right. They've got all these different programs where they involve themselves in the community when there's not crime to deal with so that we have an intrinsic trust in them to be able to deliver security and protection services for us when we need them. And we develop that trust. And that's one of the things I love about that. So I wanted to get out there with what's happening in Apex. And so one of the things I saw was there are a lot of things in Apex that people who have been here even four and five years don't know about. That's right. So I wanted to get out and say, let me go visit a restaurant or a shop that I haven't been to before, meet the owner or manager as appropriate, and find out what they do, and then communicate that back to people. That's right. From the mayor side, I want to also let people know just the nuts and bolts of what's happening. You know, here's what we're doing with your budget. Here's what development was recently approved or turned down, and here's why. And one of the things I saw was since the Apex Herald stopped printing in 2013 and they signed off permanently, even when the Raleigh or Cary paper tried to cover Apex, it wasn't the same. And I felt like people of Apex were not getting enough of the big picture. That true local news. Exactly. And so that's when I said... I wanted to figure out, can I restart a local newspaper? Well, that doesn't, there's a reason print media is having a hard time. Mm. And that's when it occurred to me, wait, podcast is the right way to deal with this using modern 
technology. I knew about your podcast here, and I had listened to all of your episodes. Um, I think I got plugged into it when number three came out, so I went back and got caught up real quick. And then I said, this would work. And the other thing is, I see that my podcast, I'm going to bring a different kind of take in terms of content. So I see our podcasts being complimentary. Absolutely. So it's I'm know, excited. That's great. And so what I plan to do with mine, and of course I'm you know want to improve it, but this is a Lance Olive brought podcast, right? So I call it Apex Roundup. It's not a government sponsored podcast. What I want to do is a, a half hour podcast, uh, twice a month, and that clock, that metronome is going to be town council meeting. So we meet twice a month. So that's a perfect time for me to grab the latest. If you want, that's the news part. I can take the data from that, report that into my podcast, produce within a few days and publish it. So then anyone who wants to know the C-SPAN version of Apex, if you will, can get that out of my podcast. And it's just one part of my segment. The other parts that I'll have will be interviews with some people and in those interviews, my sort of guiding star is you either have to live in Apex or run a business in Apex or originally be from Apex. Maybe you're doing something else elsewhere, but for whatever reason, you'd still, you remember that aspect of growing up in Apex. And so that's who I'll decide who to talk to or interview. The last part of this is I'll either bring some older history into it and maybe alternate that with some opinion pieces, something that feels like a written blog, but maybe an audio version of a blog. And I'll may rotate those through as I feel led. So it's an evolving process. Episode two is 75% done. I'll be finishing that out this week. Since last night was July 4th, we didn't have the regularly scheduled council meeting. So I have a, a segment that I've inserted which is I go back and review the 1976 newspaper of our bicentennial celebration of the country. Nice. So that's going to be my yeah. segment for the July 4th edition of my podcast, if you will. The fact that, yes, you're the mayor, and so you're going to have a particular viewpoint, what you see from your position, but also what you see just as a citizen of this town. Yeah, that's right. I look at mayor as a role and maybe a hat that I wear. And even sometimes a flex all, I mean, a, a resist all hat. <laughs> it right? is, it is a resist all that's a, hat. That's a yeah. cowboy hat, everyone. Yeah, that's right. And do you want to go that way? Yeah, now? we'll go there. We'll okay. go there really quickly. That, yeah. So that's not, you. we talked earlier, that is not a Stetson hat. That's correct. That is a resist all hat. That's correct. And it really has become your signature. Yeah. It, it, it's become iconic. It was not intentional, but I bought that hat in Texas. When I was down in Weatherford, which is just west of Fort Worth, the person I was there with, my wife's aunt, who took me down there, it was my first time really putting boots on the ground in Texas, quite literally. She said, is there anything you want to do before we go back? And I said, yeah, I want a proper Texas hat. I said, I've seen these, you know, tourist hats or decorative hats or pantomime hats. And maybe, I said, maybe some formal one. Yeah, formal I said, hats. I want a proper yeah. one. I said, how do yeah. I get a proper Texas cowboy hat? We went to the rodeo supply store and the guy helped me pick out the appropriate hat for my size and everything. And I bought a resist all brand. When I got back here and I began wearing it at all the Christmas parades just for fun, I also found out that if I wore it in the day, it protects my skin from the sun and it serves as an umbrella Absolutely. when it rains. Yeah. So there's a real practical side to having this hat. 
Well, I began wearing it more often. And before I knew it, people started asking me, where is it? If I didn't have it on. So I started wearing it more often. And I had one Texas guy come up, take the hat off my head, <laughs> look at the label and says, all right, it's a resist all. That's a Texas hat. Good. And I said, what does that mean? He said, I want to make sure you didn't get a Stetson because that's from New York. There you go. Now, of course, I think they're more in line with each other, the two companies now. But still, I was glad to know that I had a proper... Texas but it sounds, hat. though, like you you really are a trendsetter. My understanding is that the mayor pro tem recently was wearing a cowboy hat. Is that correct? I saw this on social media. Okay. Uh, I haven't verified it with her personally, but she had a red, white, and blue cowboy hat on for July 4th, and it looked awesome. This is Nicole Dozier. Nicole Dozier, yes. It, it looked great. And so... Um, I, I don't know if it's a trend, or but I'm happy to help spread the word. If somebody wants to wear cowboy hats, that's awesome, because well, I think they're very practical. Well, I think it's great. I was going to say really quickly, how will people find your podcast? So my podcast is on apexroundup.com. That's my website to support the podcast. I'm also in iTunes and Google Play, so you can search for Apex Roundup. You can also search for my name, Lance Olive. Either way, I think you'll be able to find it pretty quickly. That's fantastic. I'm really excited. I hope the people of Apex are really excited to hear it. And uh, and I hope that it's a, a show that you continue for a very long time. Do you have a, a set series that you'll do? Is it, you know, 12, 20 episodes? Or are, you, are we going to have this for uh, perpetuity? Right now, it's an open-ended plan. As long as I feel like it's providing value and that I can continue doing it, uh, I will continue doing it. If I think that it's not providing value, Hmm. I might still do it because I think it maybe meets my needs to feel like that there's somebody communicating that information to the people of Apex. And if there's only five listeners, I still will probably do it. There you go. Um, if it becomes something that has value to lots of people, then I'll be humbled and honored to keep doing that for as long as I can. Well, I, I will tell you right now that I am encouraging the listeners of the Peak City Podcast to please go check out the Apex Roundup. Um, I'm really excited for it, and uh, and I think it's a great project. He's Apex Mayor Lance Olive and also host of the Apex Roundup Podcast. Thanks for coming by today. It was my pleasure, Shane. I had a blast being here. I really enjoy seeing your setup here. Um, as a fellow podcaster now, you know we can nerd out over the equipment a little bit, and that's great. I'm happy to be here and share information with the people of Apex on your podcast, and hopefully we can do this again sometime. Absolutely. This is the Peak City Podcast. I'm Shane Reese. You can like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, at Peak City Podcast. Thanks for listening, and we hope to see you around town.